Good morning, family, and welcome to Woodland today. I hope that you're as excited about being here as I am about sharing the word of the Lord with you this morning. Last week, we did kind of an introduction to the Daniel plan, and I've already heard from some of you, you're a little bit frightened. Am I going to be able to successfully complete it? Am I going to be able to maintain the changes that I'd like to make in my life? Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about achieving lasting change in your life. I want you to join me in prayer. We're going to pray right now. Pastor Corey just read the the passage that we're going to be dealing with this morning. And I want us to ask God's blessings and God's help that we we will receive this word, we will hear this word, and we will apply this word, and we won't live in fear, we'll live in faith. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us the power to change. I thank you that you give us the motivation to change, Lord, and I thank you that you give us a vision of what change looks like in our lives. And as we look at your word this morning, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, help us to incorporate these principles into our lives, for it's in Jesus' name I ask, amen, amen, and amen. Well, Wednesday night here at the church, as I was teaching through the book of Mark, one of the points that I made to our congregation was, faith doesn't fear anything. Faith has its focus, it has its vision in God. Now, of course, we fear the Lord, but to fear the Lord means that I'm trusting the Lord to meet and to supply all of my needs. So I live my life in in reverence to Him. Fear is a huge enemy in our lives. It keeps us from achieving and accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. If you fear anything, fear this morning that perhaps you don't reach out and touch the Lord because His presence is here this morning. Or fear that you you don't listen carefully to the Word of the Lord this morning and apply it to your life because if so, you could miss the blessings that God has for you. Remember the story of the woman who pressed through the crowd to touch Jesus? The disciples said to Jesus when he asked, who touched me? They said, Lord, there's people all around you. What do you mean who touched you? And Jesus said, I felt virtue. I felt power flow out from my body. And so here were all these people touching Jesus in close proximity to Jesus, but only one person's life was changed because she reached out in faith and touched the Lord. And that's what I want you to do in the Daniel plan, is I want you to reach out in faith and receive what God has for you. When the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, the land of bondage and slavery for them, that generation that left were not able to go into the promised land because they feared the people and the obstacles more than they feared the Lord. And because they feared the people and the obstacles, they were not trusting the Lord to take care of them or to provide for them. So that's what it means to fear the Lord, that God is going to watch out for us and take care of us. And there is a promised land for you right now, for your faith, for your fitness, for your body, for your friendships and relationships. God has got a wonderful, wonderful plan for you. Now, if you were to go to Barnes & Noble or if you were to log on to Amazon, you could find a section of books called 
self-help books or self-improvement books where people are constantly looking for ways that they can improve themselves. We have all kinds of little gadgets like my phone here or like my iPad here that are supposed to improve our lives, help us do our jobs better. Uh, We have all kinds of things that we put into our homes that are hopefully to help improve the air in our home or to improve the way we use the utilities in our home. We're constantly looking for ways to improve our lives and to make life better. And I happen to like some of these gadgets, but there's only one thing that can really change your life, and that's faith in God and faith in His Word that will produce lasting change. So let's look at some principles from Romans chapter 12 this morning, principles that will bring change into your life. And the first principle is this, the principle of dedication. That's the principle where I give my body to God. Let's look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God. Underline that in your outline this morning or underline it in the app. Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship the Lord. Now, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, they're all about the good things that God has done for us. God has done this for you. He's done this for you. He's done that for you. And by the way, he's done this and this and this and that for you. And furthermore, he's done this for you. And so those first 11 chapters are all about how, what God has done for you. It's kind of what we would call expository. It's how the Lord is, Paul is expositing to us what God has done for us. And then from this point on, from Romans chapter 12 to Romans 16, he's showing us how to apply all of these blessings to our lives that God has done for us. And so one of the things that he says to us is, give your body to God. And why? Because your physiology affects your psychology. You know, if you come into church and you sit up straight and you've got your iPad or your, your notes in hand and you're taking, you're taking notes, somehow or another just your physical posture affects how you're going to receive and hear and apply the Word. I see people sometimes come in and they just kind of slouch down like this or lay their heads back. And I know right then that person's not going to receive very much. And those of you that are teachers, you can tell when a student comes into class and if that student is slouching or if he's walking slump-shouldered, perhaps that student is not really applying themselves. So your physiology, giving your body to God, keeping your body fit, keeping your body in shape, it has a lot to do with your psychology. It has a lot to do with your spirituality as well. Now, your body is good. And when I was growing up, there were times when I felt the body was bad. I misunderstood that word flesh in the King James Version of the Bible. And flesh is my self-will. It's not my skin, my tissue, the body that God gave me. God created my body. At the cross, Jesus paid for my body. And one day, my body is going to be resurrected from the grave when I die. If that happens before the Lord returns, the Holy Spirit lives in my body. And by the way, in our bodies, we are connected to one another in the body of Christ, which is the church. So the body is good. God created our bodies, and they're good, and they're gifts, and 
And we want to take care of them because as we looked at last week, our bodies are on loan to us from God. Now, when you look at the word give, I've asked you to underline it. Now, circle that word give in your outline because to give is voluntary. In a few moments, Pastor Corey will be coming up and receiving our Sunday morning tithes and offerings, and we ask you to give faithfully to the Lord. Giving is not something you can be forced to do. We're not going to try and force you to give. We're not going to try and guilt you into giving. We just ask you because you love the Lord, you love the work of the Lord, you love the church, we ask you to give. Well, God says to you and I, this is a voluntary offering that you and I make. Change is a choice in our life, and change begins with giving. Whether it's giving our bodies, whether it's giving attention, whether it's giving time, change is always a choice in our life. And I want you to look at three things that you and I can do with our bodies. Number one, I can cleanse and detox my body. Now, you say, Pastor, where in the world did that come from the Scripture? I'm so glad you asked that question. Look at this verse of Scripture with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. Look at this now. Cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. So God is saying we need to cleanse ourselves of the toxins and the poisons that we've been putting into our bodies as well as cleanse our spirits of everything that poisons us. The way you poison your body is through what you eat. The way you poison your mind is through what you allow to come through your eyes or through your hearing into the mental gateway of your life. The second thing I can do is I can care for my body. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 29, no one hates his own body unless they're insane or they've lost their mind. No one hates their own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. So that says two things for me. Number one, I have a responsibility to be a good steward of my physical health. I have a responsibility as a husband and a dad to be sure that my family is well taken care of. But I have a responsibility as a pastor over your lives to be sure that I pastor and I feed you well from the word of the Lord. And so God says, feed and care for your body. And the third thing I can do with my body is I can learn how to control my body, not be ruled by my fleshly appetites, not be ruled by the lust of life, but learn to control my body and to use it in a way that's pleasing to God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4. Each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. What's God saying to us? God is saying to you and me, we need to learn how to control our bodies. We need to master our bodies, not let our bodies master us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27, the apostle Paul says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. 
My study here at the church looks out at the street, and there's a lot of times during the school year, I'll see kids running. It doesn't matter if it's cold or if it's raining or if it's hot. I'll see the kids out there training. And, of course, there's athletic fields all around us. And sometimes if I, if I don't have a lunch appointment, I'll just take a sandwich, and I'll go down to one of the fields and watch the kids when they're practicing. I get a real charge out of especially the younger ones learning how to play football or baseball or t-ball. And I watch them as they're practicing and rehearsing. They're learning at a young age how to train their bodies to do what they should. You see, the reason we're starting with physical health, the reason we're starting with our bodies this morning, is because change requires energy. Let's say that together. Change requires energy. I don't want you to forget that, so let's say it one more time. Change requires energy. Because any time you decide to change in life, you've got to refocus how you think. You've got to refocus how you use your body. You've got to refocus how you use your time. But if you pay the price of expending the energy mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally for that change, then all of a sudden you bring good results. You bring good fruit into your lives. I read this by Ray Ortland. I try to drive carefully. But when I happen to borrow a friend's car, I drive very carefully. I don't want to damage the property of a friend and return it to him all banged up. Even so, our bodies are the personal property of someone else. The only way we could say, who does he think he is telling me what to do with my body, is by not belonging to him at all. In other words, saying, God, I don't belong to you at all. But didn't he, didn't Christ shed his blood to cover our sins? Has he given us his spirit to make us new? If so, then we should glorify him even in our physicality and especially our sexuality. So friends, our bodies are alone from God to us. Our bodies will return to God. They're important. They matter. They're good. Let's make that first principle of dedication. And then secondly, let's focus on concentration. And when I say concentration, what I'm looking at is let's refocus our minds. Missionary E. Stanley Jones to India said, if you don't make up your mind, your unmade mind will unmake you. If you don't make up your mind, your unmade mind will unmake you. And so what I'm asking you to do is prayerfully this morning, make up your mind that God is going to give you the power, God is going to give you the energy, God is going to give you the vision to change when it comes to faith and focus and fitness and friends. God is going to help you in every single area of this life. Let's look at verse 2 of Romans chapter 12. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This is one of my favorite verses of Scripture. It's a verse of Scripture that ever since I was a young man in my teen years, it's had a profound impact on my life. Because whatever gets your attention, whatever gets my attention, has got me. You know how when you sit down, if you're watching The Chosen, for instance, once it starts, you just want to go right to the next, next, the next episode. In the next episode, if those of you that watch Netflix like that, we call it binging because suddenly you've got a television series that's got your attention. It's got you, and it keeps you there. 
And so God tells us that we need to focus on his plan, focus on his wonderful plan for our lives that <clears throat> he reveals in his word. Remember what I said about the first chapter of 11, first 11 chapters of Romans, God's done this for you, God's done that for you, God's done this for you, and so forth. Well, now that he's got our attention with all the good things that God has done for us, and never forget that, God's plans for you are good, God's dreams for you are good, God will always bless you far more than you anticipated. God says, if you'll focus on my plan, don't copy defective models. Don't copy defective lives. Children learn by copying. Children learn by modeling. Children learn by how their parents walk, how their parents talk. We get our models of how we should eat. We get our models of how we should handle uh, conflict, how we should handle anger. We get our models of how we should handle our physical health, whether we exercise or don't exercise, how we should handle our time. Children get that from their parents, and you and I, if we're not careful, we'll choose defective models of how we're going to live our lives. So the Scripture, in essence, is saying, choose your model carefully. Don't copy the behavior patterns of this world. If you want an effective model, then choose Jesus Christ. Twenty times in the Scripture, Jesus says, follow me. In other words, model your life after mine. Six times, the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And I live my life in a way where I can confidently say to people, follow me as I follow Christ. And having said that, let me say what I said last week. My faith is not perfect but I'm making progress each and every day. My life is not perfect, but I'm making progress each and every day. And you may not be perfect, but the goal is not perfection. The goal is making progress. Because when we see the Lord, then we shall be like him. Somebody say, come on, victory this morning. Because that's the goal of all of our lives. There's another beautiful word in this passage of Scripture. And it says transform. Let God transform your thinking. The Greek word there is metamorphosis. It's what happens when a caterpillar builds a cocoon around itself. And there in the dark of that cocoon, something begins to happen. And eventually, out of that cocoon emerges a butterfly. It's not an improved caterpillar. It's not a different kind of caterpillar. It is an entirely new creature that God has made. And when God takes your mind, when you submit your thought processes and your mind to God, and you allow God to renew your thoughts and renew your thought patterns as you read His Word, as you spend time in His presence, that God begins to transform your mind to this place that suddenly you're a brand new creation. You're a brand new creature in Christ, and you're growing and growing in Christ. Sometimes people ask me, they say, how can I grow? And there's two ways that I can assure you that you can grow individually. And number one is worship instead of worry. As you turn your eyes upon Jesus, as you worship him in song, as you worship him in, by reading and applying his word to his life, maybe even praying his word back to him, especially from the Psalms or some of the prayers that Jesus prayed or Paul prayed or Moses prayed. As you spend time adoring him and lifting your hands in his presence and you let God fill your thoughts your mind will absolutely be transformed as you spend time in his word, as you spend time with your small group, and together you're encouraging one another. And I'll talk about that more in just a few minutes. 
something amazing will happen. We will eventually begin to change the community around us. It has been said, if you could get a group of people, 2% of the population of a nation, 2% of the population of the world, if you could get just a small group of people to really change, that 2% of people would change the rest of the culture or the rest of the nation. Friends, imagine what could happen if every one of us were applying these principles from the Daniel plan and letting God transform our lives. You see, only God can do that. Only God can transform us. Only God can bring about this metamorphosis in us. Only God could transform the caterpillar into a butterfly. That's the reason we teach our children scriptures like this. Bad character corrupts good character. We want to choose the people that we're around carefully. How do we do that? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. And there the scripture says, Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now notice this, underline put off, and then underline put on. If I was to go home and and take off this sweater, I would put it off, and then I would put on maybe a a sweatshirt, or I'd put on a jacket. Or let's just say now that the season is changing, I wore my old coat down to whatever store there is to shop at, and and honestly, I do most of my stuff online now. Let's say Macy's. If I was to go to Macy's and I had my coat on, it would be foolish of me to try to put a new coat on over my old coat. So what I do is I take my old coat off and I try the new coat on to see if it fits. So God is saying to us, Take off the old life and put on the new life. Put on the new mind that God has for you. And the third thing is let's evaluate ourselves. Let's humbly assess our current estate. Now, the key word there is humbly and assess. You were created to be like God. You were created in the image of God. We're not created to be God's, but we're created in His image which means we can love like God. We can forgive like God. We can, we can share like God. We can have compassion like God. And Jesus even says that he will give us power from God. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will give you power to be my witnesses. I remember hearing John Maxwell say this one time in a leadership conference I was with, and we laughed so hard, and only John can tell it the way John tells a story. But he said, two cows were grazing in a pasture when they saw a milk truck pass. Now, he was talking about people who feel inferior. He said, they feel like they just don't have what it takes. So these two cows are grazing in a pasture when they saw a milk truck pass. And on the sides of the truck were the words pasteurized, homogenized, standardized, and vitamin A added. And one cow looked at the other cow and says, kind of makes you feel inadequate, doesn't it? When we look around our world at other people, if we're not careful, we can feel inadequate about ourselves. But God doesn't want me comparing myself to you or you comparing myself to me or to anyone else. We want Jesus as our model. We want people in our lives who are Christ-like in our life, like your small group leader, like one of the pastors here at the church. And you want to be that kind of example to your children as well. So this is what God says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Don't think you are better than you really are. 
Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Now, what's he saying there? He says, and leave that verse up for just a moment. Don't think you are better than you really are. In other words, God says, be humble. You know, if you're not humble in life, you're going to stumble in life. And so we want to walk humbly before the Lord. Secondly, he goes, be honest in your evaluation of yourself. What are you and I pretending is not a problem in our lives? And that's a good question for us to think about. If we're pretending we don't have a health problem, if we're pretending we don't have an appetite problem, if we're pretending we don't have a, a financial problem or a marriage problem or a relational problem, then we're never going to be able to change that for the better. So God then says, measure yourselves by the faith that God has given us. And why does God say measure yourselves by this faith? Because you can only manage what you can measure. We had a, a, a time management seminar here a number of years ago that some of you attended. And I remember the statement that Andy made in that presentation was, you can only manage what you can measure. Well, what are some things that you should measure that the Daniel plan is telling us we ought to be measuring? We ought to measure our weight. We ought to measure our waistline. We, and I don't want to step on any toes here, but our weight and our waistline. We need, to, we need to measure our blood pressure. We need to measure our heart rate. We need to measure our bone density, our blood sugar. We need to measure what kind of foods we're taking in and taking out. Some of you have told me you use food apps to record your calories. But one of the things that I love about what I have already learned from the Daniel plan is it's not about counting calories. It's about getting plenty of the right food that God has blessed us with. And friends, the Daniel plan is not about deprivation. It's about abundance that God has given us. So here are just a couple of questions for you to consider as we get ready. And it's not too early in the year to, I mean, too late in the year to do this. What do you need to change in your life in 2023? I've made a list of things going through the Daniel plan that I really, really need to change. I, you know, some things that I've made a list of, I used to be really, really disciplined about, but I've kind of maybe slacked off a little bit. And so I need to say, okay, I need to address this with. And then the second thing is who are the people in my life that I can trust to be honest with me? One of those is my daughter. If my weight begins to, to get out of control, the first place it shows up is right here in my stomach. And Amy will come up and poke me in the tummy, and she'll say, oh, your Buddha belly's back. And so, you know, who are the people you can trust to be honest with you? Not cruelly. And then I'd ask myself one more question. Do I have the faith to believe I can change? And that's an important question. Because I don't want you focused on fear of not being able to change. I want you to have faith in God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Where, where does faith come? Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And furthermore, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 29, look at this with me, according to your faith, be it done unto you. What are you believing God to do in these five areas of the Daniel plan in your life? Your focus, your faith, your fitness, your food, your friends. What is it you're asking God? I, I am praying over every single one of these areas in my life. 
I've shared with you before that when I pray, I pray for myself, first of all, personally. I pray for myself, second of all, as a partner, as Becky's husband. I pray for myself, third of all, as a parent and a grandparent. I pray, fourthly, for myself as a pastor and for the congregation that I lead. And then then I pray, fifthly, as a pilgrim, I pray for some part of the world. Well, now I've taken all five of these things, and I've incorporated this into my daily prayer time. Record your progress. And I don't care whether you do it in a journal. I, don't, I use a journal personally. I don't care if you do it in a journal or if you just keep it on a scratch pad or you carry a tablet in your hip pocket or your shirt pocket. But keep records. Where are you at at the beginning of the Daniel plan? Where are you at with your blood pressure? Where are you at with your pulse? Where are you at with your, your weight, your waistline? And as you keep a record of that, you will see the progress that God is helping you to make. And remember, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. And so I'm going to ask you again, imagine how you will feel in all five areas of, this, of your life, friendships, relationships, when it comes to your focus, when it comes to refocusing your mind and having a renewed mind. How will it feel to be healthier relationally, spiritually, mentally, when we're done with the Daniel plan just before Easter, and then imagine what it will feel like when you get there a year later and you've already achieved and you've made these habits and you're incorporating these principles to change. And then number four is the word cooperation. Cooperation means I need people in my life. I need small group support. I need people that are going to encourage me and give me a attaboy when I do well. And let me say to all the small groups here and to those of you that are looking for a small group, please just let us know. We'll, we'll get you connected or we'll start a, a new small group if we, if we need to start another small group for this time. But you see, we need to encourage one another. If you only lost a pound, or if you, if you just maintain your weight, give somebody an attaboy that maybe you didn't gain another pound. It's the same way with your finances. If you just pay off a small amount of your debt, give one another encouragement when it comes to your finances. But we need to learn how to celebrate wins, and no matter how small or large, and I see that in the Scripture. There's all kinds of celebrations in the Bible of the wins that God gave to people where God's people were called to celebrate. And we need to celebrate. Last week, I told you the story of someone who called me and said, your church laughs too much. And then when I tried to explain and wanted to pray for them, they, they wouldn't even let me pray for them. Well, that person probably needs some joy, needs some laughter, but that prob- person probably needs some celebration as well. And so, let's just say you're making progress, and maybe you set a goal for changing how you eat, or maybe you, you set a weight goal, you've, you set a relational goal, becoming a part of a small group, and as you, as you begin to achieve, stop and have periodic celebrations. Maybe as a small group, when the weather gets a little nicer, take a walk in the metro park together. Or maybe as a small group, take a, a, a vacation together. Or maybe go up skiing together if you want to go in the wintertime or water skiing this summer. If you lose the weight you want to lose, uh, get a new outfit to celebrate how that you've lost that weight. Or maybe a new bathing suit for when you go to the beach this summer. Do something to celebrate. One of the things that I plan on doing when I, when I get 
when I reach my goals is I'm going to have a big cookout in my backyard. I want to celebrate, and I figure by that time I'm going to be ready for two things, red meat or fried chicken, one or the other. We're going to celebrate. But I want to celebrate with people that are encouraging me because 58 times in the Bible we are called to encourage one another, support one another, pray for one another, honor one another, lift up one another 58 times. I think that's an important deal that we do together. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 4 with me. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Now, hear me on this for just a moment. We belong to one another. We fit together like a body. God has made us a church. He's made us a part of His body My health affects your health. Your health affects my health. And as a pastor for so many years, I have always been amazed and surprised how that when somebody is doing well, how it impacts my life in the body of Christ. When somebody is suffering, how it impacts my body in the life of Christ. It's the reason that one time the Bible tells us when one member of the body rejoices, we all rejoice. So maybe you're going to get together with your small group and you're going to have a backyard cookout. Or maybe you're going to go on a a, a walk in the metro park. Or maybe you're going to have someone along the way in your small group that they get sick or they stumble. We're not going to give up on one another. We're not going to turn our backs on one another. But it will affect us. (coughs) Pardon me. So then the Bible tells us we mourn with one another. When one member mourns, we all mourn. And our health definitely affects each other. And then fifthly, the Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, gives us the principle of affirmation. In other words, I want to fill my life with love. I not only want loving people around me, but I want my heart so full of love that that love splashes out of my life, flows out of my life to other people. I'm not a hireling. I can honestly say that before the Lord. I never have been and I never will be. I love the people of God. I love the body of Christ. I love the church. I love you. And I think you could talk to anybody in my ministry through the years and they would tell you the same thing. Recently, somebody out of town stumbled in. We've stumbled into one another and just kind of had a surprise meeting and that person just so encouraged me because they looked at me and they said, you know, Pastor Clanton, I always felt so loved by Woodland Church when I lived in, in Michigan. And I was such a compliment to you that you loved people. We fill our lives with love so that we can love others back, both the lovable and the unlovable. You see, the reason is love is the only motivation that will change us. And the reason for that is, is we're creating the image of God. And the Bible says, God is love. Let's say that together this morning. God is love. Come on, say it again. God is love. Look at your neighbor right now and tell them, God is love. And you were created to be like your heavenly father, which means you have the capacity to love, and love is the motivator that changes us. Guilt never changes anybody. When people change because of guilt, that change only lasts until the guilt is gone. 
And eventually, even a murderer loses their guilt. Even somebody that's been unfaithful loses their sense of guilt over that. So guilt doesn't change us. Fear doesn't change us because eventually we get over our fears if we get good counseling into our lives. But the kind of change that we're talking about that is lifelong is the change that comes because of love. And I would also say this this morning as well. Don't ever forget this. Pride won't change you. You see, we're not talking about taking good care of our health and taking good care of our bodies because we worship our bodies. You know, people who, who go to the gym just because they want to take care of their bodies and they want to look good, that's pride. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to look good. I, I want to look the best I can. But I want to take care of my health because I love God, because I love my family, I love my church, and I love my community. So love has a lot to do with getting me out of the lazy boy when I'd rather sit there and have a bowl of popcorn. Love has a lot to do with forcing me back, not forcing me, but just leading me back to my Bible and my studies and my prayer closet so that I can come and preach the word of the Lord. Love has a lot to do with with helping me to listen compassionately and try to help people with change in their life. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 says this, don't just pretend to love others, Really love them. I mean, and that's very forceful there. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, but hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Again, leave that scripture up there for just a moment. Because you see, love can change the unchangeable in your life. When the Bible says, don't pretend to love, I mean, don't be loving here at church and don't just sing the songs of love so that your family hears it, but then go out and live hatefully. But also don't just say it with your words. Love people with your actions. Love people with what you do. And hate what is wrong because what is wrong will hurt somebody. Now, it's not wrong to have a Big Mac occasionally. It's not wrong to have a steak occasionally. But if you make a habit of that... Somebody told me this week, said, you know, Pastor, I really fell off the wagon. I've been eating really poorly, and I went in to see my doctor, and my cholesterol level has gone up, and my blood pressure level has gone up. And, and so when I'm listening to this, I see why this has really caught our attention here at Woodland. It's not wrong to have something occasionally in moderation, but it's wrong when we let it rule our lives. Hold tightly to what is good. And then the Bible says, love each other genuinely. Have genuine affection. And then I should take delight in honoring you. You should take delight in honoring one another. So here's my question to you. If you love people, how are you helping them? If you love people, how are you encouraging them? If you love people, how are you giving to them? You see, you can do this even for people who do you wrong. You remember Job in the Bible? Job's friends were just convinced that he had sinned. They wouldn't listen to Job. They kept criticizing Job, condemning Job. And Job hadn't sinned. It's, it's one of the most remarkable stories. And I have, for almost a year now, just been living in the book of Job, trying to prepare to preach it in, in a way that will do justice to the text, but also help us to draw the great truths out of it. But something really stood out to me in the book of Job in chapter 42 and verse 10. 
Now, these friends that had so hurt Job, God told Job to pray for his friends, to give to his friends. So when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. I have a feeling as we love one another genuinely, as we love one another affectionately, as we encourage one another, as we pray for one another, the blessings of heaven are going to fall upon us as we seek not only to love and encourage each other, but to love our community, to love our state, to love our nation, and love the world. And then finally this morning, I want us to look at the principle of motivation. In other words, we want to nurture our enthusiasm. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Theodore Roosevelt basically said the same thing. But you know, the name Theodore... Theodore Roosevelt was talking about enthusiasm. He said, you know, enthusiasm will take you from one failure to the next failure until you finally achieve success. And and I love reading about our former president, Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt. But his name Theodore means lover of God. The word entheos, enthusiasm, is where we get our word enthusiasm from or enthuse. It means in God. So look at Romans chapter 12, verse 11 with me this morning. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Circle that word. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Sing enthusiastically. Worship enthusiastically. That doesn't mean just emotionally, but it means in Christ, in God. Serving with passion, serving with vigor, serving with all the vitality and the health and the strength that God blesses you with. Rejoice in confident hope and be patient in trouble and keep on praying. So how do you live in God? You worship, you don't worry. You fill your mind with the thoughts of God, the Word of God. You use your body, you give your body to God, and you take care of it. You feed it, you nurture it, you, you exercise it, you, you record those principles that we looked at. And then it's like God inspires Paul to write three things after serve the Lord enthusiastically that we're going to need to remind ourselves of. And number one, that's rejoice and confident hope. You can change. You can change and you can grow in your faith. You can grow in your fitness. You can grow in your focus. You can grow in your friendship. And you can grow in your appreciation for the kind of food that you eat. Secondly, be patient in trouble. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. This week, my mother has been with us. And she's diabetic. And, of course, on on our fast, I'm not eating any sweets right now. But she's kept these wonderful, I don't know if they're delicious or not because I haven't eaten them, but she's kept this wonderful fudge cookies out on the kitchen counter all week long. And I see them several times a day. And every time I see them, I start salivating. What I'm doing is I'm being patient because I know after this fast is over, I'm going to consume some fudge cookies. But the third thing he says is keep on praying. Friends, God will help you. Don't enter into this thing thinking you can't do it. Don't enter into this thing thinking you can't take time to meet with a small group. Don't enter into this thing thinking that your health can't change. I promise you, God's love will change you. Your love will change and encourage one another. But the most important decision you're ever going to make is, am I going to give my heart and my life to Jesus Christ? And that's the whole point of this Daniel plan. It's to help people discover 
that God is for us, he's not against us, and that God has an amazing and wonderful plan for your life, and he wants to transform your life, transform your thinking, and just like the caterpillar and the butterfly, only God can make you a brand new man or a woman. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, I am asking you in the name of Jesus Christ that you would touch us today, that we would apply these five principles to our life. But more importantly, Lord, I pray for those that may have never given their hearts and never given their lives to you, that they'll understand that, God, you love them, you care for them, and you sent Jesus Christ to tie for them and take their sins so that they could be a brand new creation in you. And I ask you to give them the faith, take away the fear that they can step across the line and follow you today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. I love you so much.